You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. We are uh, finishing up our series today, Faith of the Flawed, and we've been talking about the people in the Bible that have uh, issues, that they have really, really bad issues that they kind of messed up on. By the way, thank you for my happy birthday. I forgot to say that. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Anyhow, but uh, we've been talking about people that have, uh, you know, they got problems and they mess up in the Bible. The Bible is so gracious to tell us the full story about people. Sometimes we see people at their best, and uh, we see them when they're doing so good, and, and we don't really know the private struggles that they have uh, and the things that they go through, and uh, so it's good to see people struggle in the Bible because we struggle. We struggle, and we don't always get it right. Sometimes we mess up, and we need God's grace to forgive us, and we also need kind of like uh, tools about how we can do better, and so we watch these people. So today we're going to be looking, we talked about, you know, people, Noah's drunkenness and uh, Abraham lying and David's adultery. Today we're going to be talking about anger. We're going to be talking about Moses, Moses the rageaholic. We have some incidences in Moses' life where he lost his temper, and uh, I'm not going to ask you if anybody here has ever lost your temper. You know, if I were to ask you, you may lose your temper. I don't want to ask you that. But uh, there are people in our group today that we all struggle with some anger issues. And, uh, and it's, it happens in marriage, you know. Sometimes, you know, you get married and you don't know you have anger issues. Or, you, you, you know, you, then you have kids and that brings out stuff. And so uh, we're going to be talking about this. Moses, uh, we're going to focus on one text, but uh, we'll be looking at Moses' life in general. And I wanted to read to you one of the most famous incidents where Moses lost his temper, and he got really angry. And it's found in Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13, and uh, it's at the end of a 40-year period of leading the children of Israel across the, you know, the desert. He's been faithfully leading these people, helping them, patient with them, and then Moses just, the, just like the proverbial straw breaks the camel's back, he loses it. And he gets really mad. Uh, and here it says in Numbers 20, verses 1 through 13, In the first month, of the, whole, the whole Israelite community arrived at the desert of Zin, and they stayed at Kadesh. There Miriam died and was buried. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, If we'd only died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord, why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here. Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell face down, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, Take the staff, and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together, speak to the rock, before their eyes, and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so that they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? 
Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community in the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord and where he was proved holy among them. And then there's a verse in uh, Psalm 106 that's sort of a commentary on this, and I want to read that to you too. Psalm 106. Psalm 106 says, By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. By the waters of Meribah they angered the Lord, and trouble came to Moses because of them. And the next verse says, For they rebelled against the Spirit of God, and rash words came from Moses' lips. And rash words came from Moses' lips. Well, the problem that we have here is this is a replay. You know, 40 years earlier, the children of Israel have been in the same place, actually a different group of people. The, the parents of these people that are complaining, 40 years earlier, at the very same spot, they had complained against Moses because they didn't have any water to drink. And that time, the Lord said, well, go take some of the elders with you, go to the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out. Then, 40 years later, instant replay, the children, the next generation, are complaining. So Moses is on his second generation of complaining people. And he is like, listen to it, and listen to it, and listen to it, and listen to it. And then came that day, and if you think about the context, and this is important, Moses is going through his own personal grief. The Bible says that Miriam had just died. That's his sister. That's the little girl that was older than Moses, that when Moses was put in a basket in the Nile of Egypt, she stood in the bulrushes watching over Moses as he floated toward the palace. So this girl, Miriam, had been with Moses his entire life. She'd always watched over him. He, she was the one person he could depend on. Now, they had some issues at times, and we see that in Scripture, but Miriam has just died, and so Moses is in grief. And so behind the public Moses, there's a private Moses that's struggling with some problems. And every time you see somebody at Walmart, the, the, the cashier that's a little rude or someone that's not so nice to you at restaurant, more than likely, more than likely, their terse behavior is not excusable, but probably behind the scenes is some story that they're struggling with. So whenever people struggle with anger, we have to always give them a little bit of grace because we don't know what's really going on in their life. And so Moses is going through that. But the people have been complaining and complaining and complaining for, for 40 years. And he's been, he's been a good leader. He's not been a perfect leader, but he's been a good leader. Now think about this. Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage, out of Egypt. That was a pretty big accomplishment. And the next thing that he did is he helped them cross the Red Sea. Miraculously, he lifted up his rod over the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted, and they went across on dry ground, and the, the uh, Egyptian army followed in suit, and they were drowned in the Red Sea. And it's actually the Reed Sea, but it's an interesting story. And so Moses has this incredible track record of being a great leader. He's been a very, very good leader. He has been very, very proficient, very efficient. He's a great, great leader. He's not just an average leader. He's a good leader. He's doing incredibly well. 
three days, three days after crossing the Red Sea. And after the crossing of the Red Sea, Miriam, Moses' sister, leads the children of Israel in a dance. They're celebrating. Things are great. Things are wonderful. Things are so good. Three days later, not even a week later, three days later, they come to this place called Merah, and the water is bitter, and they begin to complain against Moses after he had led them through the Red Sea. You know, sometimes you think about, you know, people that annoy us and disappoint us. And here's what happens to us in our relationships. When we are annoyed by somebody, maybe our spouse, maybe you know, our adult children, maybe somebody we work with, maybe somebody in, that is in our, in our private world somehow, and we get annoyed at them, and they bother us and they insult us. And I'm not going to ask you if anybody's ever kind of insulted you or been insensitive to you, but I would guess that there's been some people in your life that's been insensitive to you. And uh, the Bible says this, one of my favorite Proverbs, a prudent man overlooks an insult. A prudent man overlooks an insult. When somebody's insensitive to you, the Bible says a wise person overlooks that. But, you know, sometimes, you know, when people are insensitive to us, we can get an attitude toward them. We can get sort of an attitude that like, my goodness, this people, I mean, you know, you've been so good to a person, you've helped them, you've been faithful to them, and you've been uh, on their team, supportive of them, and then they get, you get annoyed. Somebody gets, you know, get annoyed at somebody. Here's something I think is important. Whenever you're annoyed at somebody, whenever anybody's been insensitive to you or anybody's insulted you, think about the big picture of your history with them. I try to do this with people. Sometimes, you know, people can rub you the wrong way, but when I'm kind of like offended in some way, one of the things I try to do is I try to look at my whole history with that person, how they've been good to me in other times, how they've been supportive of me at other times, how many times they led me through the Red Sea where they did good things for me. We have a tendency to fixate on what recently has happened and not look at the whole picture. So I think it's helpful sometimes when someone is not easy to live with or maybe you've been offended recently by somebody that's your friend or whatever. One of the things you have to do is you have to think about the whole picture of that person, how they've been good to you in the past. You know, what we have trouble with Americans is our attitude as Americans is what have you done for me recently? What have you done for me recently? We have such a short memory But I'm here to tell you, whenever you have a relationship with somebody and they annoy you a little bit, think about the good things they've done for you in your history with that relationship. That's an important thing. But the children of Israel, they forgot. Three days they forgot. He led them through the Red Sea. He was faithful. He was good. Three days later they forgot and they were annoyed at him. And that bothered him. If anything it could be said about the children of Israel, is they were professional complainers. They were always complaining, always complaining. If you've listened to me preach over the years, you've heard me tell the story about Brother Benjamin, Brother Benjamin the Catholic, who was really serious about following the Lord, and so he joined this monastery. It's one of those monasteries where you could only speak uh, two words a year. And so he was in this monastery and uh, at the end of his first, uh, uh, it's actually 10 years, after, at, the, at the end of his first 10 years, he got to speak two words. And he said, bed hard, bed hard. 
And the bishop wrote it down. Well, Brother Benjamin, we got your record here. Bed hard. That's what you'd like to say after 10 years in the monastery. After 10 more years of service, he got to say two more years. He said two more words. He got to say, food bad, food bad. Well, after the next 10 years, he's been there 30 years, and now he gets to come in, and they ask him what he'd like to say, two more words. He said, I quit. (laughs) And the bishop said, doesn't surprise me. You've done nothing but complain the whole time you've been here. (laughs) Well, the children of Israel, they're complainers. They're constantly complaining. And Moses is trying to do good. He's trying to be a good leader. He's trying to be a faithful leader. He's listening to God. He's trying to do the right thing. But it's like in his spirit, like this A.W. root beer here, every time they complain, it's building up in him. It's building up in him. I mean to tell you, they complain because they didn't like the manna anymore. They complained because he had to move so much. They complained because where it was. And Moses has listened to all the complaining for 40 years. And how many know that frustration can accumulate? Frustration can accumulate in your spirit. And he's getting really, really annoyed. And finally the day comes when Miriam's died and he has this situation. And he loses it. Just all these years of accumulation. Here's what happens. I think Moses, you know, the Bible says this about Moses. It says Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. That was in Deuteronomy. Now, Moses happened to write Deuteronomy, and I think maybe that was an editor. (laughs) So Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. So I think he was a nice guy. How many know that nice people can have anger issues? Nice people can have anger issues because there are stuffers. They stuff it, and they stuff it, and they stuff it. They're offended. They're insulted. They're uh, being treated insensitively. And because they're a nice person, and because they're a Christian, and because they're trying to be a nice person, they just keep stuffing it, but it's building up all the time inside. You know, if you get offended and somebody annoys you, and let me just say this to you, people... If you live in this world, people are going to offend you. You're going to get hurt in this world. This world is a rough place. If you lead anything, if you lead a business, if you lead a church, if you're in politics or if you're in some realm realm of leadership, you're you're going to get criticized. Criticism is part of the deal. And if you're a nice person, you know what can happen is you can just keep building it up and building it up and building it up. How many would like to open this for me right now? <laughs> Do I have a volunteer? You'd like to open this right now. On that day that, you know, Miriam had just died and the people said, we want something to drink. You brought us to this horrible place. This is a horrible place. There's no pomegranates here. There's no grapes here. The water, there's no water here. It's dry. You know, you brought us here. I wish we just died with our brothers In the wilderness, I wish we weren't even alive. Moses, you've made our life miserable. And they got in Moses' face. And Moses is doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. He and Aaron, they go and get before the Lord. They get before the Lord and they're praying. And, you know, which is a good example. When somebody gets in your face, get on your face before the Lord. So they pray and... 
And the Lord says, Moses, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them water, but I want you this time, I don't want you to, I want you to take your rod, take your rod with you, but don't hit the rock. Speak to the rock. Because the Bible says that in 1 Corinthians 10 that the rock is a type of Jesus. And that Jesus was the rock in the wilderness that brought forth water. And you think about water. Water is always a symbol of salvation. It says in uh, John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, he said, I will give you living water. And it says out of Isaiah that the wells of salvation will come forth with water. So water is a symbol of salvation. And he struck the rock once. And how many know that Jesus has been crucified once for our sins? He's been crucified. He's been smitten. He's been crucified on the cross. And, you know, sometimes some of, there's some religious traditions that say every time you take communion, transubstantiation, Jesus is crucified all over again. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that he was crucified once and for all for our sins. Jesus has died for our sins. He's been raised from the grave. And when Moses went to that rock, he was supposed to speak to the rock in faith and belief and salvation would come. How many know that uh, when you think about it, when you're striking the rock, the first time he struck the rock, you know, that was a symbol of, of Jesus being crucified. But the second time he went there and he was just supposed to speak to the rock and he lost his temper, he said, you rebels. And you know what the book of Psalms says? The book of Psalms focuses on his rash words his rash words. He said, trouble came upon Moses and he spoke with rash words. So when Psalms gives us a commentary on what Moses did in losing his temper, it was a focus on his words, what he said. Let me ask you a question. How many have ever, ever said something in anger you wish you hadn't have said? Just anybody's ever said something in anger you wish you never said? No, I know or maybe you, that doesn't apply to a lot of you, but you know people that that's happened to. And he said things he shouldn't do. And you know what it says? Moses, trouble came upon Moses because of the rash words he spoke. And the word rash there is the word thoughtless. He was not thinking about what he said. His amygdala in his brain. You got this little thing in your brain called the amygdala. And when, the, when, you're, you're, uh, when your juices get going and that amygdala takes over, you're not even thinking about what you're saying. In fact, when people really, really lose their temper, that amygdala in your brain, I mean, it's like override. Once you start getting mad and once you let it out, and here's a mystery, here's, a, here's something that's interesting about anger. You think, well, I'll let a little bit of anger out and then that'll be dealt with. But when you let a little bit of anger out, you inflare your amygdala and you're out of control. And Moses, maybe he thought he was just going to say a little, maybe he was just going to say, you rebels. But when that came out, it was like the torrent the floodgates broke up when he started losing his temper. You rebels, must we bring water to you out of this rock? And he took this rod and he hit it. I mean, he's hitting the rock. And he wasn't like, he was like, man, he was like hitting things. And maybe, maybe, maybe you've seen somebody get mad before and they, they hit things. I, I've seen people on the tennis court take their tennis rackets and, and break them. I just read a, a, 
uh, biography on Roger Federer. Roger Federer, great tennis player, if you know anything about tennis. Roger Federer, when he was a young man, he was so driven by perfection, he'd lose a match. He would sit under the umpire's chair and weep after the match was over, and he would lose his temper, and he would bust rackets on the court. And and that amygdala, that thing that goes off on your brain, once it goes off and you let it go, you're going to lose control. And Moses started hitting the rock, and what's the problem with that? The problem with that, he's ruining the picture of salvation. Because he's taking the rock and he's exerting effort to get water out of the rock. And we don't exert effort to get salvation. He's, we get salvation not by our effort, but we get salvation by believing in the name of Jesus, believing that Jesus died on the cross, believe that he was crucified in our sin. He took my guilt. He took my shame. He took my sin. He took all of my sin. And I believe in him. I don't exert any effort. I don't try to do good works to get the salvation. I don't try to do anything to get the salvation. I don't exert any effort. I just believe and salvation comes to me. Let me tell you something. If you're here today, and I, I was raised in church, and I've met the Lord, I think, when I was 12 years old. I think that's when I really met the Lord, a little Nazarene church and all that. But let me tell you something. I didn't understand salvation until I was 21 years old. I went years not understanding. I thought I had to exert effort. I thought every week I had to do better. I remember my wife, Karen, she went to a, a particular denominational church not too far from here. They, a lot of them around here. Every Sunday, she'd go to the altar because she felt bad about what she did. And the pastor would say every Sunday, I think he got it this time. That is poor theology. How many know you're saved when you don't have a good week? You're saved when you don't have things aren't going good? You're saved when you throw something. I mean to tell you, God's grace is sufficient for you. You get back on track. You ask the Lord to forgive you and get back on track. How many know that that's good news? Can you say big amen? Moses, man, you rebels, you stinking rebels. I'm tired of you. I've been thinking about this for years. His spirit's boiled up. His amygdala is fired up, and he begins to hit that rock. And the Lord says to Moses, why didn't you honor me in front of the people? Why didn't you honor me in front of the people? Why did you do that? Because you did that, you're not going into the promised land. Because you lost your temper after 40 years of people whining and complaining and fussing and crying. He had the words HOA in history. I mean, they're complaining, they're whining, and he, after 40 years, he loses it, and God says, that's it, you're not going in. Now, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but that seems a little rough. I mean, I know Moses lost his temper three times. He lost his temper when he killed the Egyptian. He was driven by justice. And you look at Moses' life, he was driven by justice. Uh, When the uh, Egyptian was uh, harassing and abusing one of his fellow Hebrews, he killed him and hit him in the sand. Now, there's something about justice. There's something good about being angered by justice, injustice. But we have to be sure that we don't carry that 
anger about injustice to violence. And when you look across the history of our country, there's a very good thing. I love Martin Luther King Jr. I love him that he says, if you use violence, you use anger, you use violence against society, you're not a part of us. He was moved and angered by justice, but that by that injustice, but he didn't let his anger about injustice cause him to do violence. That's very important. And we see Moses, he failed in that regard, killed the Egyptian because the injustice was there. Then the other time he got angry was he'd been up on the, uh, the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, coming from the presence of God. He'd been there for 40 days and 40 nights seeking the face of God. The glory of the Lord is on Mount Sinai. And God gives him the Ten Commandments. And he has the tablets made for God. And God, with his own finger, writes the Ten Commandments. And Moses is carrying them down. When he gets down to the bottom of the, uh, the mountain, the children of Israel are having a party. Coors Light, it's the right beer now. They're partying, they're dancing, they're just having a good time. They're promiscuous, they're taking their clothes off, they got the golden calf, they're drunk, they're, they're partying, and they're not honoring God, and Aaron was supposed to keep them in check, and they're worshiping this idol, this golden calf that had something to do with one of the gods in Egypt about going back. And Moses is carrying the Ten Commandments. How many know that's a pretty good artifact? I mean, I, I would love to just see that. He had the Ten Commandments. And how many know if God gave you stones written with his own finger with the Ten Commandments on, you may want to hold on to those. But he lost his temper when he saw the rebellion and saw their anger. Man, he lost it. That amygdala got fired up. I don't know what he said. I think when he looked at that crowd, he just lost it and he threw, threw those Ten Commandments that God had made and they shattered everywhere in anger. Now you read the Exodus account in Exodus 15 and it says that he was angry and he threw the Ten Commandments and he busted them everywhere. Man, that's... That's not good. I mean, you can't get another copy of that. I mean, that's important. And he broke the Ten Commandments. And there's something symbolic here. Is that when he threw those Ten Commandments and they shattered everywhere, that, that crowd of people in front of him were committing every sin that were on those tablets. And it symbolized that they had broken all the commandments of God. So he gets mad. He gets mad then. He gets mad with the Egyptian, and then here he gets mad, where he strikes the rock with a rod, and God says, you're not going in. You're not going in. And I'm like, God, you're not going to let him go in because he lost his temper, and he hit the rock. And, I mean, these people have been whining for 40 years. I think it's amazing he didn't hit them with the rod. I mean, I could just see him running around whacking heads with a rod. But you're not going in, Moses. You're not going in. I remember as a little boy being in church reading that, hearing that, hearing that preached on, knowing that story. I'm like, I don't have a chance. 
And far as I know, he's messed up three times. How many, let me just ask you, here's a question here. How many of you have messed up at least more than three times? Just raise your hand. You're pretty sure you messed up more than three times. I'm, I'm talking about today on the way to church. <laughs> but you're not going in, Moses. Man, I, he got to, he got to go on. Mount Pisgah and look into the promised land, but he never got in there. And so I, in my estimation, when I think about it, I always think about it in academic terms. He messed up three times, so I think he got a 97 on the test. He got a 97. Now, I don't know how you were in school, but when I got a 97, it was a big day for me. Thank the Lord, got a 97. You know, some people graduated, you know, cum laude. I graduated, thank you, Lordy, when I got through school, you know. (laughs) Moses doesn't get to go in. The reason it doesn't get to go in is because Moses is the lawgiver. He's the lawgiver. He is the one that got the Ten Commandments, and it says in Matthew 1, 17, The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He's a lawgiver. 613 laws in the Old Testament. Moses was the orchestrator of all the laws. Moses represents the law. And the law will never get us into the promised land. God's showing us through Moses' imperfection because he is the lawgiver, he represents the law, that the law will never get us into, into the kingdom of God. So he never got to go in. Well, who got the children of Israel into the promised land? Well, it's this guy named Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. If you read the book of Joshua... Moses doesn't get to go in. The book of Joshua starts this way. Moses is dead. Moses is dead. The law is dead. Now, Joshua, you lead the people in. And so Joshua, who is Hebrew for Jesus, it's Jesus that leads them into the promised land. It's Jesus that has taken our sins. It's Jesus that's taken all of our failures. It's Jesus that's taken all of our shame. Jesus has taken all of our mistakes. And it's not the law, which I thought... Growing up in good old Sussex County churches, going to good old Sussex County revival meetings, hearing good old evangelists in Sussex County. Try harder, try harder, try harder, try harder. Do more, do more, do more, do more. I know you're saved. You're saved by grace, but you're kept by works is what I thought. And the law will never, ever get us in to the kingdom of God, it's Jesus. And just say it, say it with me. It's not through the law, but it's through Jesus. That's why Moses couldn't go in, because he was a symbol. He was a symbol of the law. I was, uh, I was <clears throat> going to the airport one day, and I, I came... Karen and I were going, I think, flying to Texas, and I was going to be preaching down there, and I had my tennis bag with me, and I think I remember my Bible, but I had my tennis bag with me, and um, I was going to play tennis in te- Texas, 
And I had forgotten that in my tennis bag, you have to pass all your bags through that little, uh, you know, that security section. And in my tennis bag, I had my grandfather's penknife that he gave me. And I used it to cut the, the new wrappings when I would wrap the, the, uh, the handles of my racket. And when that thing passed through, they, they found the penknife. And so they called me off to the side with all the other suspicious-looking people. They called me off to the side, and they said, and they pulled the penknife out. And I don't know what made me do this. Instinctively, I grabbed the penknife back. Oh, that's my penknife. That created a whole bunch of things that happened. <laughs> you don't want to do that. And they took it back, and they said, uh, you can't go through with this. You, you, never, you can't go through with this. Now, we'll mail it home for you for $25. I said, stamps are a lot more in Baltimore, aren't they? I'm telling you. $25. was my grandfather's penknife, so I mailed it back. If you live perfectly your whole life for 100 years, and you send one time, one penknife, you could not get into the kingdom of God. Because God is so righteous. Right now, while we're having church, there's these beautiful cherubim before his throne in heaven. Day and night, 24 hours a day, they cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. While Corey was up here leading worship in heaven, there was worship of the angels. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The book of John says, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We don't celebrate the grace of God enough. We don't celebrate it enough because we're ignorant of it. Moses is not going in because he's the law. You're not going in. If you think, because I, I just, I had a wonderful conversation with, I have dear friends in this church that asked me to go visit somebody this week, and this wonderful lady in the hospital, wonderful lady, sweet, intelligent, she's like 90-some years old, and I talked to her about Jesus, and I said to her, I said, I said, do you know the Lord? Are you ready to meet the Lord? And she said, I'm not very religious. That's what she said. I'm not very religious. I said, well, I appreciate that. I'm not very religious myself. You know, I don't know that religion's really that helpful. But I talked to her about how, how righteous and how holy God is. And, and she said, I try to be a good person. I said, I know you do. You try to be a good person. And so good. You are a good person in so many ways. But in the context of who God is, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. We have to have Joshua, Jesus, lead us in. And I said, would you like to receive Jesus? And that woman's eyes teared up and she said, yes, I'd like to receive Jesus. I took her hands and this 90-year-old woman, we prayed together. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit came in BB Hospital, that little room. She started crying. I was crying. The Lord was moving and the nurses were walking by, but we're having church there. 
because it's not how good you are. It's how righteous he is. It's not how good you are. It's how holy and righteous he is. And he's taken your shame. He's taken my shame. And he has given me the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that he's made us who knew, he made him who knew no sin, that we may become the righteousness of God. A few years ago, it occurred to me what that meant, the righteousness of God. What does that mean? He has given us the righteousness of God. That means, listen to this, you are as righteous as God is if you have your faith in Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, those of you that know Jesus and you put your faith in Jesus, would you raise your hand and say, just raise your hand and say, my total faith is in Jesus. Just raise your hand and say, my total faith is in Jesus. Say it with me. My total faith is in Jesus for my salvation. And there's some of you that haven't done that, but we're going to do that in a few moments before we, before we end today. My dad, I love my dad. Got to see him this week, and Karen and I go over and do some things for him, and then we take him out to dinner. And uh, my dad, he's just telling me his stories. He used to work at DuPonts. He loved working at DuPonts. He tells me about his ministry and tells me some of the same stories, you know, every week. I love to listen to them. They're really meaningful to me. But my dad's sport, you know, he was, his sport, what he loved to do was, he was a bowler. He loved to bowl. And that was a big thing in Seaford. He lived on the western side of county. There used to be two bowling alleys over there. And my dad, DuPont guy, was a, was a bowler, and he was really good at it, really good at it. And um, when I was a kid, he gave me bowling lessons. I got bowling lessons. I was no good at it. Uh, terrible at it, just really bad at it. My, my best game is when you have that little rack and you push the ball down and it rolls for you. That's the, how I do my best bowling. But, but here's the thing about bowling. If you know about bowling, the apex of bowling is to get a perfect game. Now, I don't know if you know what a perfect game is in bowling, but it's 300. That means that you roll... Nine strikes in a row, and in the 10th frame, you have three balls you can throw, and you have to get three strikes in the 10th frame. My dad was bowling one day, and he has this really good bowler. He bowled on all these leagues, and he's bowling. And he gets eight strikes, gets nine strikes. His heart is starting to beat. Everybody at the uh, bowling alley gathering around. We got something happening over here. He gets 10 strikes. He's got to get two more strikes. This is his dream. Perfect game. He rolls the 11th ball, 11th frame, gets a strike. He needs one more strike. One more strike. He's done it 11 times in a row. He just has to pull one more. And he lines up the line and he throws the ball. And all the pins go, but the seven pin is rocking back and forth. And the seven pin doesn't fall. He missed it by one pin. So my dad's had insomnia for about 45 years thinking about that moment. <laughs> That's kept him up every night 
for the rest of his life after that. But he tells me that story all the time. I love to hear it. And he goes through the seventh frame, it's the eighth frame, the ninth frame. I'm rolling strikes. It's the tenth frame, the eleventh frame, and the one more strike. And one pin is left. If you were going to get into heaven in your own merit, you have to throw 12 strikes in a row. And I can tell you, for me, I've never had 12 straight days without any sin in my mind attitude. And when I think about Moses, as we end this series, Faith of the Flawed, there's one pattern, one pattern in this, all these Old Testament stories. If you notice, all of these except one story, when Sammy Fisher preached here one of these, series, one of these messages, all of these stories are in the Old Testament. And the carryover in the New Testament, we don't hear about Moses' anger. We don't hear about David's adultery. We don't hear about Abraham's lying. He's held up in Romans 4 as a, as a man of faith. God's grace covers what we were, and it covers what we are becoming in Christ. If you're here this morning, we're going to pray together. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as we, those of us that are Christians this morning, know Jesus, we're going to celebrate the grace of God as we leave here today. We're going to be thanking God we are not in the Old Testament. If you're here today and you don't, haven't ever met Jesus and met, invited Jesus in your life, I'd just like to ask you to raise your hand and say, I want to receive Jesus today. I know it's not by my works. I have messed up plenty in my life, and I want the Lord to forgive me, and I want to put my faith in him that he will forgive me and cleanse me and declare me righteous before the Lord. If that's you this morning, would you just quickly lift your hand up and say, I want you to pray for me, Pastor Danny, before you end this service, and I want to receive the Lord, and I want to move toward a thank you. I see that hand. Anybody else just want to thank you? Anybody else wants to raise their hand? Thank you. Thank you. I see that. Thank you. Anybody else before we have this final prayer today? A Sunday when the Holy Spirit's moving, bringing people into the kingdom. This is an area where the Holy Spirit's bringing people into the kingdom right now. Let's all pray together with these that raise their hands. If you didn't raise your hand, you can get on it, in on it right now. Pray this from your heart. Say this with me. Let's all pray it collectively. Lord Jesus, I could never, ever please you by my flesh. But Lord, I come to you humbly and empty-handed, putting my total trust in Jesus for my salvation. Holy Spirit, come into me, make me new. And I believe that Jesus is the only name whereby I can be saved. I believe that he's been raised from the dead. And right now, let's say this all, everybody that's a Christian, everybody that's becoming a Christian, lift your hands up, and I want you to say this last part of what Romans 10 says, Lord Jesus, I make you Lord and Master of my life. My life is not my own. It belongs to you, and I receive you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, and amen. 
Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only He can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.